Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Let us pray. God of all creation, unmoved mover, beloved brother Jesus, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts and minds will be pleasing and acceptable unto thee, our guide and our destination. Amen. Now this story, this incredible story that Jesus gives us today, it is the story Lazarus, the rich man. You know, when I was, I've been a a practicing Christian for about 20 years now. And when I was younger, my watchword, my my, my favorite reading from from Luke was from the 12th chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 12, the stories that consider the ravens, you know, and the lilies and the ravens get enough to eat and the lilies are beautiful, so don't like worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. It felt like such a good verse to prepare me for my life. And now as I get older and I am more concerned fatherhood and other things, and the mission and the sort of second half of my life, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, it, it comes to me every single day. And it has become a fascination of mine. Well, the rich man in the story, he comes and goes day after day. Well, he doesn't even have a name. I know we've talked about this before, but the rich man doesn't even get named. Now, I'm sure people knew his, would have known his name if he was rich at the time, but it's not written in the Bible. This often happens. The rich and powerful in the Bible are left unnamed, and the poor and the weak are named and celebrated by God. I just talked to the children about Pharaoh. What is Pharaoh's name? I don't know. King Pharaoh? That just, Pharaoh is just the, just the word for king. That's like calling somebody king, king. We don't know. We don't know Pharaoh's name. It is left out of the Bible. How do we know Moses' name? We know Aaron's name. And today we know Lazarus' name. God is telling this story to us on the lips of Jesus Christ. And God clearly knows the name of this desperately poor man who sits outside the gates of the rich man's house. God knows his name. His name is Lazarus. The rich man in this story, he can't even seem to see Lazarus. It's not so much that the rich man's evil or bad or malicious or even particularly hates poor people or something like that. The rich man doesn't even notice Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is is desperate for somebody to come and help him. He's covered in sores. And the dogs, Jesus tells us, the dogs come and lick his sores. Some people read this as like a further torment on Lazarus, but really dogs uh, were seen as agents of health and healing. And so I think that Jesus wants us to understand that the dogs are Lazarus's friends, perhaps his only friends. They're his companions. How many of us have seen somebody sleeping rough on the street? Their only friend in the world is their dog. Rich man dies lost in the burning chaff. Why not? He did nothing of real merit during his life. He just got rich. Lots of people do that. Paul tells us today, you brought nothing into this world and you're taking nothing with you. He walked past Lazarus a thousand times and never lifted a finger to help him. He couldn't even see him. His eyes didn't register the, perhaps the homeless people of his age. I think Lazarus was background scenery, something to step over. 
And all of the good that God expected anyone to do for Lazarus in this life, God does for Lazarus in the next. The poor we fail to serve in this life will be given greatness in heaven. That's in the Bible. And the rich man, it says, he received all of his good while he was on earth. What a bum deal. While the rich man was on earth, it doesn't appear that he wanted a relationship with God. Why would he want a relationship with God after he dies? I was thinking about all of this once. Uh, I served a church that was next to another church. And the churches were very different. And I wouldn't preach about this other church if their pastor didn't use me as an object lesson in his sermons just about every Sunday. So it will fall to me then to tell this story to you because the churches were very close to each other, but there was an alleyway between them. And I would go into that alleyway because there a lot of times there were people sleeping there or people living there. This was a downtown church, and I'd kind of clean it up and make it look nice uh, so that the people who slept there didn't have to you know, sleep in garbage. Sometimes alleyways fill up with garbage. And once I was cleaning and I was just... I was cut down because I found behind these bushes, I found an old pizza box. And on the pizza box were written the words, pregnant, homeless, please help, God bless. And I thought about Lazarus. And eventually in that relationship with that church, what ended up happening was the church fell into decline and the church that I served ended up buying that building. But before we did, I saw another sign on a gate. They would put up a gate in that alleyway. And this was the sign. It said, hi, please don't use this courtyard to store your stuff or sleep in. In fact, we would prefer if you didn't use it at all. This area will now be patrolled on a daily basis. Thanks a lot. This was the sign that was put up by that other, other church to dissuade people from sleeping there. As I said, we ended up buying that other church, and it was by a, a congregational vote that we bought the, that building uh, for ministry purposes. And I tell you what, as soon as that vote passed, I immediately walked out the back of the church, and I ripped this sign down off of that gate. This is... Last week, I was driving home from here with Jojo, and the two of us stayed late at church because she was really into that bounce house. She's fascinated. Bounce house. Okay, so I, <laughs> we're finally, I finally get her in the truck, and we're driving home, and as we get off the highway on the M37, there's a, a, a mother and a daughter at, uh, asking for money, as we see all over the place. And um, her sign said that she was a refugee and that they needed help. And her daughter was the same age as Josephine. And I usually have some money in my truck, but we were in the wrong lane, and I didn't have any money. And Josephine's six years old. And, of course, she asked, what are those people doing? And uh, she noticed that the little girl had a pair of sunglasses. And uh, I had to explain to her what refugees are. And... Uh, it was a very challenging conversation. It's hard to talk to kids about this, but it's important to be honest with them. Josephine noticed them. She noticed them because they weren't background scenery to her. And she asked if I would go back and take them some money after we got home. 
And she asked if I would take the girl a, t a toy, and I did. Um, and Joe said, I'm glad that she has her sunglasses, because it explained that when refugees leave, they can't take anything with them. But Josephine noticed her. Children see, children see the kingdom of God at hand. So, come hell or high water, for me, I will never die as the rich man in that story died. I will never die as he died walking past Lazarus in the streets. It will not happen to me. I will see every Lazarus. Even if there's nothing I can do, I will at least hold their hands. I will at least look them in the eyes and affirm that they are human beings just like me. Which brings me to us, our life together, our church. Who we are and what we can be if we choose. We're a church and a church is made up of a lot of different people. And some of us are uh, perhaps at times in our life the rich man. Some of us are Lazaruses. I think all of us are both at some point, right? The Bible is the story of us. It's not us versus them. It's all us. What this church, I think, can be, can be neither the rich man nor Lazarus, but something more important in the story. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple, who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. At his gate lay the poor man. At the gate was the poor and the pregnant. At the gate, Lazarus is outside the gates. I think the church is the gate. The church can be the gate. And so our church will always remain open to share the feast at the table that lies within this house. Our church is an open gate. St. John's is an open gate. Thomas uh, Rayner is a trauma surgeon for churches. I started working with Tom when I was working with the Alvin Institute, which doesn't really exist anymore, but Thomas Rayner's done a lot. He is sent in to save dying churches that can't be permitted to die for whatever reason. He, he's oftentimes, he's sent into big steeple churches that occupy really important real estate in major U.S. cities. I learned a great deal from him, and he's probably the most reliable researcher on the dying church in America. And I use the word dying here instead of a pleasant euphemism like uh, churches in decline or contracting or my personal favorite, churches that are experiencing refinement. <laughs> because Tom feels it's important to use the language of death because you can't have resurrection without death. He estimates that nine out of 10 churches in America are in decline, heading towards some kind of death. Now, right out of the gate, I can tell you that here at St. John's, you are not one of those churches. We are not a church in decline. I know this statistically. I know this numerically, objectively, uh, because our church is healthy and growing, and we're doing well. It's math. So we are that 10th church. Rejoice. It's important, but why are we that 10th church? Why do we find ourselves growing and experiencing spiritual depth and meaning? I think it's important to know why. The answer, I think, is that we are distinct because we are constitutionally incapable of leaving anyone outside the gates of our feast. 
It's like we've taken the doors off of their hinges, spiritually speaking. Our default setting is openness. We receive this from our heritage in the United Church of Christ, from our experience as a church that was founded on the experience of immigrants and refugees, and people who, when they came to Grand Rapids, were not welcomed in other churches, but knew that they would thrive when they extended that hospitality to all. Our default setting is, is openness. I, heard, I read something the other day that said that whenever the church tries to draw a line to keep people out, Jesus moves to the other side of that line. We practice that way of Jesus here. So many churches exclude, but they don't see the Lazarus sitting at their gate. And they draw lines to keep people out. I don't know why they do it. I don't think I would want to be part of something that I couldn't bring all my friends to. Maybe they're rooted in fear or something worse. I think of Lazarus with his open sores, and I think about the way that so... I think about the way that I was reflecting on uh, Lady Diana this past week, around this time when we seemed to be so focused on the British monarchy and the, and the revolution that was her simply holding hands with an HIV-positive man. And I think about other powerful Christians, and how they failed to respond to the AIDS epidemic in the 18, uh, 1980s and 1990s, or how they blamed people for getting sick. Shameful. It was time to bring help and succor, and the church failed in so many places. Today, I see our Lazarus in the faces of those poor refugees that are being cynically used for political theater. Asylum-seeking people, people who have broken no law, individuals who are not here illegally, being promised some kind of help and then being shipped off to make media stories from powerful men. What could be a more perfect metaphor for Lazarus lying wounded at the gate of the rich man than these poor people seeking refuge and then being stepped over? Huh. And still I hear powerful Christians, men who have more money than they could ever spend, they see these little ones at our border and they say with pity and then they say something like, well, we can't possibly afford to take care of everyone. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We talked about this last week. It's there in the Bible. We can. Hunger grows. Climate refugees will continue to grow. I think one of the most powerful things that we can do is view these strangers, these immigrants, these wanderers as meaningful assets to our community to welcome them in. Welcome the strength of their hands, the wisdom of their culture. Welcome all that they have and then bring them in and celebrate them. That's what we wanted. That's what St. John's wanted when they came here from Germany those years ago to a community that did not want them but that benefited materially from their presence here. We can continue that tradition. The rich man's responsibility in the story was to Lazarus. It was to one man. It wasn't to all of the poor and sick and hurting throughout his entire city. It was to one man. And he failed. But where he failed, we can succeed. We can't be everything to everyone in our community, 
We need to be strategic about how we open the eyes of people of our community who might be stepping over Lazarus. How do we do this? Well, we have to find our Lazarus, the one whom God is calling us to save. I know that some of you have ideas. I know that some of you have got a prophecy or a revelation or a ministry in your heart. And I know that some of you have spoken to God about this. And I see the work that you are already doing in a time of growing hunger. You are feeding hundreds of families every month through your ministry. That is amazing. That is God doing amazing things. That's a material lesson in the abundance of creation that there is enough to go around. This is miraculous. I've seen it happening. This week, all I ask of you is this. Let us pray about it. Let us pray about it. We don't have to, right now, know the answer to the next Lazarus who will be sitting at our gates. But if we wake up and we make it our mission to pray on this thing, to ponder these things, to not be afraid to talk to God about these things, this week, then each of us, each of us, can awaken to the presence of the kingdom of God right now at hand. So let's think about that this week. Let's pray about how we can multiply the goodwill and faith of this church out into the community and let each of us commit to seeing Lazarus, to seeing the person. Seeing the person, not the problem. God has given us a powerful history, a powerful foundation, God has given us a mission and a witness. And what a powerful and hopeful and good thing that is. Amen? Amen. Amen.